Grace and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. My dear brothers and sisters, God's word for our consideration is taken from the book of Colossians, where we're reading in chapter 2, and I'd just like to start by reading through that section. St. Paul writes, So then, just as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is the word of our Lord. My dear brothers and sisters, today um, I really have to go way back for us to start to the beginning. It, it began, this whole problem, with, with one man. One man who was given a simple command, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it should have been enough that it was God who said not to do it. But God attached a warning to this command. He said, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. At that point, when creation was finished, God declared it all very good. We don't actually know how much time passed between then and the time when Adam ruined all of it, but it probably wasn't very long. Adam failed his responsibility as husband, as leader of his family. He stood by silently while his wife listened to the serpent, and then he joined with her in eating that fruit that was forbidden. And there was death. Let me explain. You see, Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. That doesn't mean that they looked like God. It meant they were holy like God. Their, their minds, their wills, their actions were all in line with his will, his mind. That, that connection, that parallel was destroyed. They no longer knew or understood God's will. And even, 
even the intellect and reason that God gave them was severely damaged at that moment. If you know the story well, you know that these two people tried to hide from a God that they knew was all present. And they tried to lie to a God that they knew was all-knowing. And then they turned to accusing each other and even God himself of being responsible for the mess. In this act of rebellion, Adam had killed himself. He was spiritually dead from that moment, and of course his earthly days were numbered. And when that time came, eternal death was what waited for him after that. Not, and, and, and not just him now, because it was a part of him that death was going to be passed on to everyone who came after. Every human being after Adam inherits this curse. Of course, that brings it to us. That's why I'm bringing this up. Because you and I are no exception. We are born into this world in the same state that Adam was in after eating that fruit put it somewhat graphically, spiritually speaking, every human being is stillborn. Paul says in Ephesians, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. God has standards. God demands perfection. He demands complete obedience, complete compliance to his will and to his law. But we are born dead to God's will. Even if we knew his will perfectly from birth, and we don't, we couldn't even carry it out because we're dead. One of my, um, one of my pastors when I was younger, Pastor Tom, he used to keep a cricket in a jar. The, the cricket's name was Fred, and the cricket was dead. Fred was trapped in that jar, but, but it didn't matter. He was dead. Tom could, Tom could open up that jar and, and take it out to the door and, and hold it out and yell, Run free, Fred! You can go! Didn't matter. Fred was dead. He could not go free. He could not do anything. I, I want you to understand our natural state before our God. We are spiritually dead by nature and cannot make a single move to save ourselves no matter the opportunity presented. In fact, you could even say we can't even do it accidentally because it's, it, it almost goes beyond inability to do what God asks. Uh, in Romans, Paul says, the sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Not only are we, are we incapable of carrying out God's will, we don't even want to do it if we could. That natural self, the, the sinful flesh, as it's sometimes called, is an enemy of God. 
It cares nothing for God, wants nothing to do with him. It hates him. If it knows what God wants, it wants to do the opposite. And as we stand by nature as sinners, God will not approach us. Between the, the sinner and between God, there is a great division. There's a, you could call it a chasm of hatred. The Bible sometimes calls this enmity. Our sins divide us from God, even if we were alive spiritually enough to want to come to him, and we're not, our sins would still separate us from him. It's, it's like a, a huge canyon between us. Try your hardest to, to run and, and jump across. No one is clearing that. Someone may be stronger or more athletic than someone else. Someone might make it a few feet further over the hole, but you still all end up at the bottom just the same. And not to belabor the point, but spiritually dead as we are by nature, we can't even move enough to roll ourselves over the edge. Hopefully you're, you're getting the picture here. We are dead on our own. And in that state of spiritual death, we've kind of rung up a huge list of offenses. God has a, a record book that lists all of them. On the, on the cover of that book, he has the law, summed up perhaps in just one word, love. And inside that book, on the tab with your name, is listed every time you have failed to love properly. It's, it's actually broken down into to ten easy categories. There's all those times you've loved something else more than you've loved your God. Every time you've soiled the Lord's good name by your words and actions. Every time you've despised his word, neglected to worship him regularly. There's whenever you've, you've disobeyed the people that God's put in authority over you or, or only obeyed them grudgingly. There's all the times you wanted to hurt anyone else, all the, the perverse sexual thoughts, deeds, greed, lies, covetousness. It's all written down, and it, it grows as we speak. And it's prepared to be read at your trial before God at the end of your life. I try not to think about that terribly often. It makes me a little queasy. The obvious implication is the verdict is going to be guilty. And the sentence, the just punishment for everything we've done is to have our spiritual death made permanent, to have it set in stone forever. God would say, you have lived dead to me, and now dead to me you will remain forever. What grace that God has shown us here on earth is to be removed, and that leaves us with only eternal suffering. We are to be separated from God. Friends, I apologize if it feels like I'm belaboring this point, but this is important. 
we have, to, we have to not just understand how hopeless our situation is. We, we have to be reminded of how hopeless it is constantly. Because I know you have this too. There's a voice. There's a voice inside each one of us that is constantly whispering, sometimes shouting, no, 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 no. You're not dead to God. You are, you are a smart and strong and capable person. You can do this. Whatever it is God is asking, you can do it. Maybe, maybe not everything, but some of it, you can contribute in some way to being saved. You just have to find it and, and do what's right. To that voice, you have to repeat, you are dead. The dead can do nothing. Mercifully, thankfully, that death is not what God wants for you. Even though the punishment is fair, God wants us to live. But he knows better than we do that we can't do it on our own. So God said, I'm going to fix the mess. On the day of Good Friday, the, the bookend to what happened with Adam ends. What one man started in the Garden of Eden was finished on the cross. All the problems that Adam created for us were ended there by Jesus. In our, in our reading today, Paul said, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Everything Adam did through his act of rebellion, Jesus made right with his act of obedience. When we were dead, while sin still clung to us, Jesus took up our sins, the one thing that kept us apart from him. That record of all of our wrongs, he took it up and nailed it to the cross. And it's actually, I, I don't like to get into to Greek discussion too often, but I, it's a little stronger here in the original than, than what I just read in the English, where it says, uh, canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. You could instead say something like this, having obliterated the record of debts against us. The, the verb literally means to remove as to leave no trace. And friends, that's what's happened. The record of our wrongs has been obliterated. And the written code, the law of God, doesn't threaten us any longer. It no longer keeps track of our sins because it's nailed to the cross. It died with Jesus. And the great divide between ourselves and our God is removed. Do you remember what happened at that moment when, when Jesus gave up his last breath? God made it pretty clear. When Jesus proclaimed it finished and he gave up his spirit, that great curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That curtain separated the holy place where the priests would usually do their work from the most holy place 
which was where the Spirit of God, the presence of God dwelt. No one was allowed back there because no one could stand before God. Okay, the high priest was allowed back there once a year and only after very specific preparations were made and if he did it wrong, he'd be struck dead. That was not a place people were allowed to go because of sin. When Jesus died, the curtain was torn. Everyone has access to God at all times because sin was put to death on the cross. That's really good. There is still a problem, though. We're born dead. A dead person cannot do anything. The divide may be gone, but we can't close the distance between ourselves and God. And so God has to fix that as well. And Paul writes here, In him you were also circumcised, with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. It's at our baptism that this condition of death is reversed. We who were dead already are buried with Christ. After Jesus proclaimed that work finished, after he gave up his spirit, taken down from the, cl- the cross, wrapped in linen, laid in that tomb, the stone rolled in front, and Jesus was buried. We go with him to that grave through baptism. And all the sin and all the guilt go there as well. And then just like he was, we are made alive again. God, the Holy Spirit, makes us a new creation. He breathes faith into our hearts and we are raised from spiritual death to spiritual life. But the best part, the best part is that all those unholy things that kept us from God, those are left in the tomb. Our record of sins is left buried. Our death sentence from God is left buried. Our hatred of God, our slavery to our sinful nature are all buried there. Because Jesus was buried in our place, all that evil could be buried with him and left. And so at our baptism, at our burial and resurrection in him, he, he cuts off the sinful nature from us. He cuts loose the new creation within us. Okay, yes, the sinful nature still exists within us right now. It's a, it's a struggle that we have. It's hiding in us. It's trying to take control. But it's not in control and it's not attached to us anymore. The sinful self is cut apart and its days are numbered. It's not who we are. Now, our, our sinful nature hasn't actually changed. It still hates God. It still wants to rebel against God at every opportunity. It's also still under a death sentence. But again, it's, 
It's not who you are. And so, in our new life with God, we, we struggle against it. But it's not in control. The sinful nature is dead. The new life that God creates in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's your life. That's who's in charge. And it's not you. It doesn't come from you. The power of that new self comes from God. It comes from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has promised us his power by staying connected to his word and sacraments. God's word is what keeps our new life alive. Again, it's not on you. That's a good thing, friends. If any part of all of this depended on something that I had to do, well, one of two things would happen. If it were me, I would be forever terrified that I hadn't done it quite right. There's also the possibility that I could become very full of myself thinking about what a great job I did and how proud God must be. But knowing me, it'd be anxiety. But it's not that. We can't do anything to save ourselves. God does it all. Keeping our faith in God strong is itself something God does, not us. And so we stay close to the word and the sacraments. God keeps us alive in him. We need to stay in the word of God. We need to regularly hear and learn it, not just once a week, every day. Uh, one, of my, one of my favorite passages, Moses, when he said to the Israelites about the word of God, he said, they're, they're not just idle words for you. They are your life. We were buried right along with Jesus. And now that we've risen to a new life in him, friends, leave the dead things in the grave. Live as someone who's free from the slavery of sin. Live in the confidence that God alone accomplishes your salvation and stay connected to the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that feeds that new self that keeps us alive so that when the day comes that we are buried here, in body, we're truly buried with Christ before us, looking forward to the day when we are going to rise to live a new and holy and perfect life with our God forever. Cling to your life. Amen.